What a great day to be together, excited about church. Man, got a lot of great things going on I, I want to tell you about, but I first want to say welcome to LifePoint on a Sunday. Come on, everybody. I, my name's Mike. I get to serve here as lead pastor, and it's such an honor to be with you. If, if this is your first Sunday or first time back in a long time, we want to say a big welcome to our guests and everyone who's joining us online through our online campus. We know that we've got folks watching literally around the world uh, today, and so we want to say welcome to you as well. Today is a huge Sunday for LifePoint Church, and I've been talking about it, and now today is the day. Uh, you may not have realized this or remembered, but we are a church with multiple venues, multiple locations. We have a daughter church in Smyrna, Tennessee that we oversee, and they're doing great, relaunching back in their school and doing great. We purchased land on the north side of Clarksville to build a permanent facility for our north campus. Come on, somebody, and that great news. <clears throat> Next month, we are relaunching our campus at Austin Peay State University in the Clement Auditorium, and we have this huge online campus and, and crowd. Pastor Christian is doing an amazing job leading them, but today we get to welcome a new venue to our church family, a brand new congregation joining us in Chandler, Arizona. I want to give a big shout out. Come on to our East Valley Dream Center video location. Come on, everybody. Let's say welcome to our new church family members. Man, shout out to Danny, Pastor Danny Gonzalez and Pastor Giovanni Cedeno for your amazing leadership and heart for Chandler, Arizona and the East Valley of Phoenix. Man, we're so glad to be able to reach more people for Jesus, how many of you know until the Lord comes back, we got more work to do, more ground to cover, more places to go? Can I hear an amen? Um, okay, we just come through our 21 days of prayer. You just watched the video on one day to feed the world. And today is the day we celebrate with our big give Sunday. And we'll keep our giving options open for you for the next few weeks to make sure that you're able to give that. But we have been talking about one day to feed the world. And the idea is very simple. Take your annual salary and figure out what is one day of your wages and would you consider giving that to our feeding program, our partner with Convoy of Hope through Feed One and One Day to Feed the World. And uh, as I told you, one $30 will feed a kid all month through Feed One. And so you figure out your income and you've been asking the Lord for the last three weeks, God, how many days wages would you like me to give? What would you have me give? Our attitude is really simple. Here's the theology behind giving in the local church. You ready? So in Malachi 3, the Lord speaks through the prophet Malachi and he, he differentiates two types of giving. One he calls the tithe and one he calls the offering. Tithe is almost like a, um, it's, well, the, the, the language is it's the first tenth portion that we bring to the Lord. This is something that we bring as a gift to God regularly. It's, you don't even have to pray about tithing, right? So whatever your income is, we give 10% of that and we give it to the Lord through his local church. It's the plan of God. A bunch of preachers didn't come up with that. It's God's plan that we bring the tithe then you pray about giving offerings beyond that. You don't give offerings until after the tithe, right? So then you pray about what offering would you like me to give? So over the last three weeks, we've been praying, Lord, how many days offerings do you want me to give or how many days wages do you want me to give as an offering? So in addition to our regular tithing, we're bringing an offering today and uh, you can do it through our app. You can do it through our website, lifepointchurch.tv give. You can give it through the mail, drop a bag of quarters off at the office. I don't care how you do it. It's really up to you. But today's the day, and this is the week that we are celebrating our partnership with Convoy of Hope to give. And so whatever it is that God's put on your heart, my challenge to you is simply be obedient and trust God. We are gonna make a difference together. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Thank you for your generosity. I really appreciate it. Okay, today we are starting a new six-week series. We're taking a break from the book of Acts, and we're gonna spend six weeks in the parables of Jesus. I don't know if you know this about me or not. I love the parables 
of Jesus. In fact, it's, it's the most brilliant teaching in the New Testament for, for many reasons. I mean, Jesus, honestly, all of us need to become just obsessive students of the Gospels of Jesus. But these parables were these stories that he told. They were analogies. They were um, made up on the spot or maybe based on real circumstances that Jesus had walked through or observed. But 37 different times in the four Gospels, we have these stories presented by Jesus. Now, the disciples would even ask him, they'd say, why do you teach so much in parables? Why do you respond with these stories? And he, he told the disciples, he said, you guys are around me, like you understand life with me. But for people that don't know me, I'm telling stories that make sense to them. I'm trying to invite them into the kingdom. And every time he'd start a parable, very often he would say, my kingdom is like this. And then he'd tell this story. How many of you have like a dad that always answers questions with analogies? You know what I'm talking about? Or that uncle that's always telling stories with his mustache? All right, anyway, random mustache joke there. So I love the parables so much, I think they should define what the Christian experience is like. There's 37 of them. In fact, I have uh, uh, some more teachings that we're gonna do over the next six weeks. Today, I'm gonna teach my favorite parable. If you've been at this church for very long, you've heard me talk about it. It's the parable that I think defines our church the most and that I want to define our church and the culture of our church the most. But we're gonna spend the next five weeks going through some other parables that we've never taught on here at LifePoint. And we're gonna be going through these as small group curriculum as well. So we're asking everyone in our church starting this week to host a small group. And we've been talking about this for weeks. It's just you and somebody else, you and five people, you and your family, you and your neighbors. We will give you everything you need to host a, a small group. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Bible college grad. You don't even have to have gone here very long. Just get on our website and click the button. And everything you need is right there. We've got some video starters for conversation. And then we got some questions for you guys to just wrestle through this parable series together. We're asking our whole church, all of our small groups to focus on the parable series as well. And uh, we're going through this, this study together for the next six weeks. Sound good, everybody? Okay, three people, thank you. The rest of you just check out, go home. I don't care what you do. Uh, I like the parables so much, I wrote a book about them. And uh, this book came out this year and we've given away copies to our church family for really since March. And I've got another couple of copies to give away. But uh, if, you, if you'd like to get one, we have some in our bookstore at our Rossview campus and they're yours to take. Uh, please just take one. Uh, if you'd like to buy it and help me put my kids through college, you can get on Amazon and get one there as well or ship it to friends, family, enemies, whatever you wanna do. But hey, today I wanna give away two copies. Anybody got a birthday this week that has not read my book? Doesn't own a copy? She got a right there in the white. I see your hand. Would you help me get this back there to her? He was pointing at her. Okay, yeah, one of y'all fight it out. Anybody over here have an aunt with a birthday this year? Anybody over here got it? There we go, my man. Catch, don't let it hit anybody. Oh, okay, good. Whew. Nothing like throwing objects with sharp corners in a big crowd. Here's my pocket knife, ready? All right. Well, hey, jump with me to Luke chapter 15, my favorite parable of Jesus. And many of you have heard me preach this before. In fact, I got to, I was so honored, Pastor Anthony Daly at Mosaic Church in Clarksville on the north side of town invited me to preach this parable to his church just a few months ago. And I feel like it's still just in my bones. If you've been around here, uh, you know that we've taught on this parable before. We reference it a lot. By the way, all of you can host a small group. If you need help with that tonight at five o'clock, we have training at our Rossview location for the next three weeks. We'll be offering small group host training as well. So Jesus teaches all these parables and, and they're an introduction to a way into his kingdom. What does it mean to belong to Christ, to belong to the body of Christ, to belong to the kingdom of God? And never before in the Bible do we see God's people talking about the kingdom of God. You don't have the prophets talking this way, but Jesus comes along and he starts revealing this good news. Matthew 4 says, he went everywhere proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. 
And the basic gist of the kingdom of God, it's where God is king and we're not. (laughs) We're all his subjects. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So the kingdom of God is God is king and we're not. Anybody else struggle with that besides my wife? Anyway, so (laughs) she's not, that's not really true. Okay, today I wanna jump right into the parable that I think is the most excited to preach and will reveal the heart of what it's like to belong to the kingdom of God and what I want for us as a church. And listen, whether you're in Phoenix, whether you're in Smyrna, whether you're online around the world, wherever you are, I believe this parable should impact all of the body of Christ, no matter what. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? So we have said some things that come out of this parable. One of the things we say a lot is anyone is welcome at LifePoint Church. Can I hear a big thunderous amen to that statement? Anybody's welcome at LifePoint Church. Now, Here's the caveat to that. Anyone is welcome to have Jesus change their lives. Here's what we don't mean by that. Anyone's welcome to come in and change us and change the gospel and change, you know, Orthodox Christianity. No, no, no. All of us are welcome. Doesn't matter how you live, how you've been living, who you're dating, what you stole, you know, what, it doesn't matter. Anyone's welcome to let Jesus transform them. And we believe as a church that we are all about changed lives, right? And so we believe that God is changing lives. And and that's why we teach the Bible the way we do. That's why we worship the way we do. That's why we do services the way we do, because we think God uses the church to change people. But you're not welcome to come here and just stay like you are. Like, that's that's boring for any place. That's like going to a skating rink and not putting on skates. That's like going to Chick-fil-A with a Burger King burger. It just doesn't make any sense. So anybody's welcome to come to LifePoint Church and have their lives transformed by Jesus, and that comes out of this parable. That language comes from the parable, and the one that we're gonna start with today, this whole series, is my favorite, the parable of the two sons. Many of you have heard it called the parable of the prodigal son, but Jesus never called it that. Bible editors called it that. But Jesus said there's a man with two sons, and so that's what we're gonna call it today, the parable of the two sons. And much of the culture of our church has been shaped by this parable. It's one that I'm very passionate about. You're gonna hear me get worked up. You're gonna see me sweat a little bit, spit out my mouth. Come on, somebody, it's gonna be awesome. So let's get the context of this parable. Now in Luke's gospel, chapters nine through 19, Jesus is traveling up to Jerusalem. He's on his way up to be crucified. This is called this travel narrative. These 11 chapters is some stories that are only in this part of the Bible, like the parable of the prodigal son, like some of the interactions that he has with people on the road, right? And so he's traveling, he's got this group of disciples with him, and then literally hundreds and even thousands of people are following him and they're tagging along with him from cities along the way up to Jerusalem. And also come along the religious groups that are tracking him and they're kind of investigating this Jesus cult and this following of people who are listening to this man. And how many of you know the religious group didn't always love him? Okay, they never loved him. And they're tracking and they start complaining along the way. So here's what happens. This is the context for us that gives us the parable of the two sons. Watch this. In Luke chapter 15, starting in verse one and two. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, to hear him. First of all, this is the most beautiful picture of what God intended, why he sent Jesus. Let me explain to you who these people are. Uh, do, I need, do I need to help you with understanding what a bunch of sinners are? Does everybody have that kind of clear in their mind? Come on, what a group of sinners are. Do you want me to help you? Okay, you stand up, I'm pointing them out. You stand up in the blue shirt, yeah, yeah. A bunch of sinners, that's a joke, say that. all right. So we know what it means to be a group of sinners, right? Pick your sin. We've got our list in our head, whatever. 
Tax collectors is an interesting group. Now, all, all you tax haters, IRS haters, whatever, that's not who's talking about. But they still have a place. <laughs> Every April. Tax collectors, now let, let me just paint the picture of the context here. We're in first century Israel. Jerusalem is the capital. And in the last few hundred years, Israel has been taken over, dominated by, and occupied by Rome. The Roman Empire is taken off. And Rome has taken over all of the Mediterranean. They're taking over the northern part of Africa. They are the, the dominant force in the world. The Roman Empire is strong. Caesar is God. Anyone who says that they're God is to be crucified, is to be killed, right? Rome, crucifixion is a Roman torture method and death method, right? So Rome rules everything. Well, when Rome takes over Jerusalem, takes over Israel, Rome needs employees in Jerusalem. So what they did is you gotta remember thousands of years of Israelites, Jewish people who had been following the Torah, had been following the prophets. Now they're being occupied by this pagan, godless, not monotheistic, but pantheistic religious deity and the Caesar himself thinks he's God. And Rome hires these local Jewish people to say, hey, I need you to come on my staff and you're gonna take taxes from other Jews to help me, us, pay for roads and armies and weapons and temples to pagan gods. You're gonna build my palaces throughout the Roman Empire. So can you imagine growing up in Jewish families and you get hired out by the, by the Roman occupiers now, Jewish people understood generosity. They were tithers. They tithed to the temple. They took care of one another through the house of God, through the temple. That was the original plan of God. But now, all of a sudden, these Jewish tax people are now extorting from their own family members to pay the bills of these pagan Roman occupiers. Does anybody else think that is a group that we are not going to be too friendly with. If you notice in the gospels, tax collectors and sinners are often listed together. Tax collectors would have been seen as sellouts, as God haters, as God's people haters, and the tax collectors were getting pretty wealthy by extorting taxes from their own mamas, grandmamas, their own temple leaders, the, the leaders of the synagogues, the priests and the rabbis, and they're forcing taxes out to give to these pagan occupiers. So that's why Jesus names the tax collectors and the sinners together and guess who hates them? Everybody, particularly the religious establishment who said, I won't sell out to Rome. I'm gonna be a sold out as a Pharisee. I'm gonna be committed, which they did sell out to Rome in other ways, but nonetheless. So here's, here's the picture though. The tax collectors who, who Israel has rejected, who their family members have rejected, who have been seen as total castaway outsiders to God, they're drawn to this Jesus. And then sinners, we're talking adulterers, fornicators, murderers, liars, thieves, they're drawn to Jesus. And the response of the religious folks you would think would be, this is awesome, God is changing people. But instead, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They murmured, they gossiped, they posted and reposted on Twitter. They complained. Now the Pharisees are the strictest group of Jewish followers. They're not selling out. They're, they're the ones who lead the temple. They keep Torah. They keep all the festivals. They're the ones who guard Jerusalem, and they feel the most compelled to defend God. And the scribes are the super Pharisees who promoted to the job of you are so Pharisee-ish, you're such a good Pharisee, that we need you to transcribe the Bible. The original printing press was scribes rewriting the Old Covenant. 
rewriting. That's what they did. Can you imagine that job? Sun up to sundown, just writing the Bible. So these people were of the strictest sect of God's people, and they were the ones recapping all the Bible. They knew the scripture back and forth, and they were the ones not celebrating this Messiah they had been reading about, but grumbling and complaining and castigating sinners and tax collectors. Here's what they said. They grumbled by saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. How many of you know there's a distinction between being friends with somebody and having them in your home for a meal, right? It's one thing to meet somebody at Walmart who's a little shady or that somebody you may not know or be confident with and being kind there in the produce section. It's another thing to say, why don't you come to my house and eat dinner with me and my children? And what the Pharisees are mad about is this guy has made room for sinners and tax collectors. He's not only kind to them, but he's having them in their home, which in the Jewish tradition was the ultimate sign of acceptance. So they're like, this guy is accepting sinners. By the way, this is a, uh, it's an inappropriate caveat that a lot of people have, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Like a lot of times I've seen Christians, they, they have inappropriate friendships or they have uh, bad influences in their lives. And they'll go, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. The difference is, A, you're not Jesus. B, he always changed them. I mean, sinners were drawn to Jesus. They weren't just following him. They were drawn to him. There was something about Jesus that sinners loved. But there was something about the religious people that sinners weren't drawn to. You ever notice in the Bible, you never see the sinners and tax collectors were drawn to the Pharisees' table. Never, one time. So here's the, this is the setting for the story of the two sons. So Jesus, it says, so they're complaining that he's receiving sinners, tax collectors, and he's eating with them. So he, Jesus, told them parables. He didn't defend himself. I think it's so interesting. He didn't go, well, hey, let me explain the theology of why I'm doing what I'm doing. He didn't go, who do you think you are to tell me who to have dinner with? He didn't defend himself at all. He simply told some stories. And the first story he tells is about a man who had 100 sheep, and one of them got away. And he put the 99 in safety and went chasing the one that got away. What he didn't do is go, you know, I got 99 more, and that one's pregnant, so I'm about to get a couple more. I'll be back over 100 in no time. We'll just let that one wander off till the wolves and die. And really, the sheep walked off on its own, so forget that sheep. The story was a good shepherd leaves the 99 in comfort and security and goes after the one. And then he tells another story about a woman who had 10 coins. Any coin collectors in the house? No, okay. She had 10 coins and she lost one. And instead of saying, well, I have nine more or you know, I'm going to the coin shop, but I don't know what, where you get these coins. Instead of like dismissing the lost one, it says she flipped her house upside down and turned everything over to go find the one coin that was missing. And then when she found the coin, she called all of her neighbors and said, hey, guess what? I found my coin and I'm throwing a huge party for it. Could you imagine being invited to a I found a coin party? (laughs) Hey, what are we celebrating this week? Found a nickel. (laughs) Not like, it's crazy, but it was such a big deal for her to find what was missing. She threw a party for it. These are the stories Jesus is telling to these religious people who are mad that lost people are coming to hang out with him and, and sinners are coming and having meals with him. I mean, a meal is a bit of a party, right? It's a celebration. So he's telling these stories and then he comes to the, the big story. It's what I call, it's, it's the big point, this, the, the one that really needs to impact us the most and it's the story of the two sons. And he goes on, he says this, I'm just gonna read it all to you in verse 11. Now there was a man, third story, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. So number one, let me just explain this. 
whenever you own land in the first century, and the custom has always been this way, and it's still this way in other parts of the world, but if you own land or property and you die, you divide it between your kids, right? Now, in our context, we divide it equally amongst all of our children, typically, if you have anything. But here, they didn't. If you had two sons, you divide it into three parts, and you give the older son two parts and the younger son the one remaining. This is actually what's called the double portion, the, the two parts of inheritance, and the younger son gets the one remaining. Nobody ever gets more than the father originally had, but the older brother gets would have gotten the two-thirds remaining, so 66.67%, and the younger son would have gotten one-third. Now, notice the son doesn't come saying, may I please? He just says, dad, give me my money. Give me what's coming, which shows you the heart of the younger brother. He's dismissing the father. He's not interested in a relationship anymore. He's literally going, I can't wait until you die to get what's mine. I want it now, and I want to do my own thing. Anybody like the younger son so far? But the father responds by saying, okay, sure. So he divided his property between them. And he gives the money, in the, the, the one-third to the son. And then it says, verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey to a far country. Now, this is a story Jesus is telling, and you got to understand what he's doing. He's painting a picture. This boy's demanding his own stuff. He's demanding his own way. He's going to leave the father. He's going to leave the farm. He's going to leave the town. He's even going to leave the country. This is distance. He goes, he's going to a far country. And there, he squandered all of the property on, underline this in your Bible, reckless living. And in the Greek, that's the word prodigal, living. I don't know about you, but if I was 18 years old and I was given a third of my father's estate, I'd probably do dumb stuff too. I'd be buying a car that's too fast for me to drive. I'd be buying horses. I'd be traveling. I'd go to Dubai just to like zip line into the ocean off a building. I'd just be dumb, doing dumb stuff. Any youngsters get money and do dumb stuff? Liars. All right. So he squandered his money on reckless living. This guy went to the beach. He did all kinds of dumb stuff. And then look what it says, verse 14. When he had spent everything, no surprise there, a severe famine arose in that country. You got to remember the story. Jesus is saying he left the family, the farm, the city, the country. He's in another country, blew everything, and a severe famine arose. Now, you know the religious people are sitting there going, I knew that was coming. I mean, they knew the story of the Old Testament, seven years of good, seven years of famine. They just know the cycles. And a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and got a job, finally. Good, get you a job, kid. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Remember the Pharisees and scribes are listening to this story, and they're going, oh, this guy's got really nasty. Oh, this is disgusting. You know, pig, like Jewish people and pig, pork, not a good fit. Okay. So he was so destitute, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Can you imagine being so destitute that you're like trying to go, like beg the pigs for food? Hey, babe. Hey. Charlotte said to come talk to you. My man. Can I, you gonna finish that? Like how... And you know the Pharisees are listening to the story going, that's the worst of the worst of the worst situation. And they're probably sitting there going, to hell with that kid. Because he did it to himself. He left the family, left the father, took his inheritance, he blew it all on reckless living. And now he's gotten to a place where he's now religiously unclean, he's familiarly broken. Forget that guy, go to hell. Verse 17 is my favorite verse of the whole story. But when he came to himself, 
Something about him changed. And he said, how many of my, can you imagine? I mean, he's just, he's wallowing in the pig mud and it dawns on him. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. And then he says, I will arise, I'll go to my father. Notice he didn't say, I'm gonna go to my brother. He didn't say, I'm gonna go back to the field. He said, I'm gonna go to him. I'm gonna go to my father. And I will say to him, and he works up this three-part sermon. This is what some of you have done coming to God, right? He says, Father, I've sinned. This is what I'm gonna tell him. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I gave that up. That's my bad. I get it. And then the third thing, he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. Can I just get a job? Can I work for you even if I'm not close to you? And he arose and came to his father. I just imagine this boy working the sermon in his head. I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've sinned against you. Okay, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I get it. I'm going to have to get a new last name. That's fine. Tucker's a good last name. I'll be Tucker. Yeah, that'll be my new last name. Jose Tucker. Okay, fine. Third thing, man, can I just get a job? I hope my dad will hire me. I hope he doesn't put me in this job. I hope he's got me over. Okay, I'm just going to work. I'm going to work the field. I'm going to do whatever he asks me. Man, I've blown it. I'm so far gone. I'm not worthy to even carry his name. What's less a j- closeness to him if I can just get a job? So he's working the sermon. He's working his way back home. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way away, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Notice the father didn't wait for him with his arms crossed, going, where you been? What'd you do? Explain yourself. He didn't do any of that. He saw him, his heart melted, he ran to him, he embraced him, And with pig dung on the boy's body, the father starts to kiss him. You know the Pharisees are like, that is not our kind of man. But Jesus is trying to introduce them to another way of living in his kingdom. He had compassion, ran, embraced, and kissed him. And the son says to the father, I can imagine, he pushes him back. He's like, dad, 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 stop kissing me. Stop talking to me this way. Listen to me. Okay, I've been working on this for like 10 days, walking here, dad. Listen, listen. Number one, I've sinned against heaven I've disobeyed the commands of God to honor father and mother. I've disobeyed you. I've sinned against you. Number two, I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. I'm not worthy to carry your name. I'm not worthy to be on this ground. And as he's taking his breath for his third part of his message, the father just shuts him down. And he goes, ah! And he calls to the servants. And he says, bring me. Look at this. He says, father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy. But the father said, bring quickly the best robe. Don't give him the hand-me-down, the ones from last season. Bring my son the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, and bring the fat calf, and let's kill it, let's eat, let's celebrate. And here's what the father said, for this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found, and they began to celebrate. How many of you love this story so far? Isn't this amazing how the father welcomes that son back? Yeah, come on, isn't that great news? And then... There's the other brother. Verse 25 says, now his older son was still in the field. Can you imagine this thing going on? I mean, slobbering and hugging and shouting and the boys getting restored and and this big old robe's coming out. We're talking like fur with some stripes, you know what I'm saying? He's got a new bling bling on the hand. He's got some Yeezys on his feet. He's just rolling deep through the farm. Got the fat calf mooing his way over there to be slaughtered. They're grilling fillets. They got a party going and the older son is still in the field. And as he came, he missed all of it. 
And he draws near to the house and he hears music and dancing. Shofar, come on now, that was, that was pretty good right there. Go to war. All right. And he called one of the servants. He comes up to the party and he hears all this and he calls a servant out. Hey, Billy, come here. What is all this? He doesn't even go to the party. This is how just of a curmudgeon this guy is. If I heard a party on my dad's property, I heard a party I'm going to. Ooh, I'm gonna walk up there with my shoulders like Shaq talking about it. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going. He goes, what is this? What, I, what is going on? And the servant comes out and watch what the servant says. Your brother has come home and your father has killed a fat calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. He starts pitching a fit. His father comes out and he's pleading with the son. And he answered to his father, look, which if your kids start with you with the word, look, just bless them in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Grab them on the shoulder and just turn them into the living room. Don't misinterpret me here. I ain't getting on no websites. Look, the, the boy says to the father, all these years I have served you. Look at him dropping his pedigree. I have served you. I've never disobeyed you, and you never gave me a young goat. Remember his crowd, the Pharisees and scribes. We've stayed faithful to the Torah. We've stayed faithful to the temple. We've never bowed to Rome. All these days I've served you. I've never disobeyed you. You've never given me a goat that I might even have a barbecue with my friends. And then watch this. And then this son of yours comes home. He doesn't even say when my little brother shows back up. It's now he's, he's disowned him. He said, when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, incidentally, the first time there's an accusation of sin is from the older brother. Jesus didn't say he was sinning. He just said he was living stupid. He was living recklessly. But the older brother accused him of prostitute and sinful living. He said, he devoured your property with prostitutes. He said, and you killed a fat calf for him? And the father says to him, son, which I love that the father still sees that guy as a son too. Son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead, but is alive. He was lost and now is found. Man, I love that the father's heart was for both sons the one who was lost in sin and the one who was lost in religion. I love that he was trying to entreat both groups. I love that he had such a warm reaction to both boys. I'm telling you, this parable, and many of you have been around here long enough to hear me preach it, man, I'm telling you, this parable has to shape the kind of church that we are going to be. Let me just clue you in on a couple terms here. Number one, the word prodigal. I talked about it already. Many of us have heard for years, you know, prodigal means backslidden, wayward, lost. You got a kid that's missing from the church or whatever. I mean, I go to ministry functions and they'll say, we're gonna have time for prayer for prodigals, kids that are missing from the family of faith. And, and we have this idea that prodigal is a negative word, but go Google the word prodigal. It means lavish, spender. You Google it right now on your smartphone, you'll find the word prodigal means excessive spender, generous and lavish spender. How many of you wanna be prodigal now? Come on, somebody. Give one day of your wages to feed kids and you'll be prodigal too. Go tell all your friend, my pastor this week encourages us to all be prodigals. It means reckless and lavish spender. It doesn't mean backslidden, wayward, and far from the Father. Can I tell you something? You may feel far from God, but he is never far from you. 
The heart of the father never stops looking to the hill for you no matter how far you think you've gotten. The word prodigal means reckless and lavish and expensive, extravagant spender. But then we've got these people to understand. We've got the younger son. And in the parable, the reason Jesus taught this parable is because he's sitting there with sinners and tax collectors and outsiders from the people of God, and he's making room for them. These would be the shun. It's representing the shun, the outcast, the, the no longer welcome person to the family of God, to the temple, to the religious setting. Whether by their own doing or circumstances, Jesus is introducing the younger son to represent all of us far from God in direct response to the criticism of the Pharisees. Can I tell you, every one of you know a younger son. Every one of you do life with younger sons all the time. Every one of you have neighbors who are, maybe you got a family member who is, a spouse who is. Our world is full of younger sons right now. And here's what I mean by that. If you just turn on the news, our world is full of people who are trying to do their own thing and live their own way. Look, I'm gonna jump ahead here. Guys in the back, help me out on the screen. The, the, the passion of the younger brother is to do his own thing, to go his own way, to reject relationship to the father. That is the world we live in right now. Can I tell you, hey, listen, I'm driving in this morning with my family, my daughters, and I'm praying over the sermon. I always listen to my sermon as I drive in on Sunday mornings. And man, I'm telling you, I hit between exit 11 and exit eight. I felt like the Lord told me to say something. It is gonna make some of you really mad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tick off some of you right now, okay? Just everybody go, let me have it. Come on, just say it. One of the biggest groups of younger brothers visible right now are those who are taking over the nation of Afghanistan right now. Now, I know I just rattled some people in this room in a military town. Listen to me. The greatest problem with the Taliban is they're lost. They're trying to go their own way, do their own thing, and reject closeness to the Father. I am in no way supporting or advocating what they're doing. It's heinous. I believe in them being knocked down, knocked out, brought to justice, but also brought to Jesus. Name the prodigal in your world, someone who doesn't believe like you, act the way you do. I mean, anybody get around teenagers this, these days? I'm going to tell you something. I got four girls. I hate all teenage boys right now. I hate them all. <laughs> You're all terrible. I just don't like any of you. Until you become a man and get married and get a job, I won't like you. That's not completely true, but it's mostly true. There's prodigals everywhere. All the stuff we're watching, looting and rioting and burning cities to the ground, going our own way. That's not the heart of the Father. Our world is full of prodigals. And you know what I love about this story? Is that verse 17 says, he came to himself. Something happened. Jesus said in one of the gospels, he said, no one comes to me unless the father draws him. There's a, there's a spark within the image of God within them that God wants to stir people back to him. And I believe God is gonna be stirring people that you might not think belong at the church, that you may not think have a hope for being saved or transformed by the gospel. But I'm telling you, God is pricking their heart. God is doing some things in them. They're gonna get to the place of destitution and go, there has to be something more than this. Our world is full of younger sons that need to come back to the father. Then we got the older brother though. And the spirit of the older brother is the one that says they're critical, they're controlling, and they care more for self than others. The older brother spirit's the one that decides what kind of people can come into our church, that decides what kind of people can be a part of my life. Jesus was making room for all kinds of folks, 
But the spirit of the older brother says, no, 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 not that kind of person, not that kind of person, not that divorcee or that adulterer or that liar or that thief or that Democrat or that Republican, not that person of that skin color or that dating habit, not that person. And the spirit of the older brother is the one that says, this is mine. I'm preserving this. I'm protecting my father's house. And the way it becomes out in the religious space is we go in, in the name of protecting the father in the name of protecting this house, you're not welcome here. I don't know if you've ever dealt with older brothers in church, but let me tell you something. We offer a small group called Church Hurt, and it's always full. Anybody ever dealt with Church Hurt before? It's because you've met older brothers. That was my family. I've told the story before. It's in my book. When I was seven years old, I grew up in a house with a single mom, two older brothers, and my mom had three boys. We ate everything. We broke everything. We caught everything on fire. When we found out hairspray was flammable as a blowtorch, and then it just stopped. It was magic and nothing blew up. I remember my brothers and I, we would wake each other up by burning each other in the crotch with a blowtorch. That's true story. I'm sorry. That's just being a boy with no mom. My mom had two jobs. She was never at home. When we found out hairspray was a torch, it was a game changer. (laughs) Nothing was safe. We have carpet patches just singed and crusty where we just... All right, put it out, put it out. Do it again. We burned each other's hair. I mean, it was terrible. Magnifying glasses, did you know those are flame-inducing? Yeah, it was awesome. We were terrible children. And my mom would bring us to church periodically throughout our lives because she was like, Lord God, I need your help. And she'd always sit us in the front, like the second row, Always. And we were going in Shreveport, we were going to this like holiness church where the women didn't cut their hair or wear makeup. The men slept in suits. I mean, they always wore suits. They did like foot washing ceremonies. I mean, it was holiness. Everything external had to be right if you were gonna be right with God on the inside. And I remember this church was always pushing my mom to let her hair grow out because she'd keep it at her shoulders. She wore makeup. She worked two jobs. She was not that concerned about her hair. She was concerned about us surviving. We were broke and poor. We just didn't have enough all the time. And I'll never forget one Sunday night. We went Sunday mornings and Sunday night. We're sitting on the second row. And how many of you know when you got your kids in the service, you will do anything short of murdering them to keep them quiet? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You'll threaten them. You'll give them coloring books. You'll pinch the fire out of them. I mean, every kid should have a leg bruised from sitting in church with their parents. It's not abuse. It's parenting. You know what I'm saying? It's like, shut up. And us pastors up here, we never know what's happening. Just (laughs) straight up pinching. Well, one, the Thrasher magazine had just come out. It was like this new skateboard magazine. And my brother had a copy, my oldest brother, Kenny, who's always the worst. I'm just kidding. So the three of us are sitting by my single mom and it's in the middle of church. And my brother opens this magazine because we're just trying to stay quiet. And we're just looking at pictures of skateboards and stuff we couldn't afford and spray painting on everything. And the pastor stopped his sermon from the pulpit and pointed right at my mother and said, Miss Deborah, you and your three boys, you gotta go. Said, We've tried with you, we've done our best with you, and now their boys are looking at this. You just gotta go. You you don't fit here, and and when you get all this straight, you can come back. And I remember my mom, and I was seven. I didn't know that was a bad deal. I was like, do we still get to go to Dairy Queen? I mean, this is early, this is great. (laughs) But we stood up and walked out that room all alone. No one followed us, no one stood up for us, no one cared about us. We were a project for them. They were hoping they can conform us to their image. God was hoping to get us more like his image 
And in the process, that older brother's spirit came out and kicked us out of the church. So we felt the sting of older brothers. In fact, my family left the church for a very long time because of that. Can I just pause and tell you, hey, if you've ever been wounded by the church or by people in the church who in the name of God trying to preserve and protect the Father's house have hurt you and wounded you, I am terribly sorry. And as a wounded victim of the older brother, I'm telling you there's healing, there's forgiveness, there's grace for you and for them that well-intended made a terrible decision and a terrible mistake. I'm so sorry. And if you need care, we'd love to give it to you. The older brother is the one in the story who pitches a fit, who refuses to take ownership of the brother, who is preoccupied with his own thing, his own work. He's working the field. And when the problems show up, he, he goes to the dad and he gives the dad his case for why he's deserving of things, right? He says, I've done this for you. I've never messed up for you. I'm the one that's still here and I should still be able to have. Boy, that sounds like church people. I get those calls sometimes from folks. Pastor, have you noticed the kind of people that are showing up here? Yeah, and I go, yeah, it's great. And they go, no, no, no. Do you know the kind of lives they're living? I was like, no, I'm just glad they're here. Well, let me tell you. And I've had people literally over the years tell me, I will not go to church with these kinds of people. I love those phone calls. Can I tell you? No, I don't. (laughs) But that spirit still shows up in the church. That spirit still shows up in the world that we're living in. But then we have what I call the heart of a loving father. If you remember the younger son coming home, the text says that he came to his senses, he remembered his father. He didn't remember the field, he didn't remember the farm, he remembers the father. And he made a decision to return home. He made up his mind, he said, I'm gonna humble myself, I'm gonna return to my father, I'm gonna ask for forgiveness, I'm gonna ask for a job. I don't even want like status in the family house, just give me servants quarters and give me a way to work my way back in and maybe that's where you are. You're here just thinking, I don't deserve to be here but if I could just work my way back to God. The father saw him while he was afar off. You know what that tells me? The heart of the loving father is looking for him, longing for his return. And when the boy sees, when the boy's coming down the hill, it says the father ran to him, had compassion on him, embraced him, and kissed him. Look, the loving father is gracious and loving and filled with compassion and hope for both sons. Remember how he dealt with the older son too? The text says the loving father's watching the hills, runs to him, embraces him. He didn't even let the boy complete his speech. Many of us have this attitude that says, well, they better explain themselves. They better apologize. The father's like, I don't need to hear any of that. I don't need to know what you did with everything. I don't need to know what you've been going through. I'm just glad you're here. I'm just glad you're on property with me. You know, I talked about the word prodigal, meaning lavish spender. Now think about the story one more time. The boy gets his money and he blows it all on reckless living. And then he comes home. Now remember, everything left belonged to who? The older son, right? As soon as the boy gets back and he's giving his sales pitch, the father shuts him down and he goes, get me a robe. Get me the best robe, put it on him. We're talking Gucci, baby. (laughs) Give me a ring. I'm not talking my old class ring from high school. I'm talking get my boy three carat diamond on a gold, 24 carat band, get my boy's ring on his finger. Put my boy in some kicks that are fresh. I ain't talking some old used with a hole in them, work boots with steel toes. We're talking Yeezys, folks. Here's what's interesting. The father is the one who begins to be more lavish and more generous and more prodigal than anyone else when he didn't deserve to spend any more on the boy, he keeps spending. Can I tell you something? 
Every time you make a mistake, God will keep spending grace on you. Every time you get far from God, he'll keep restoring you. He'll keep offering his extension of grace. God will never, ever, ever give up on you. He'll never stop offering his forgiveness. He'll never stop offering his mercy. He'll never stop offering you his love and his compassion. No matter how far you go, no matter how much you do, no matter what you think you've done to push yourself away from God, he will never stop spending his grace on you. It's the father who's actually the most prodigal in the story. He gives the boy everything he asked for, and then when he blew it, he keeps giving him more. So I, I wanna close by asking, I want you to understand that this story is playing out in real time all the time. Could you imagine if the younger brother would have met the older brother first before the father? Like if he's walking in and the older brother would have seen him and he'd be like, what are you doing here? Hey, 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 this is my field now, bro. Where have you been? What, what, what do you think you're doing here? Can I tell you, younger sons are coming to churches all around the world and they're being met at the door by older brothers. They're being met at the door by that older brother spirit that says, you ain't coming in here dressed like that. I know what you did last Sunday. No, 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 you, got, you divorced and remarried. Oh, you had that procedure done in your, how did you vote? What's that sticker on your car? Oh, no, 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 not that same sex couple coming in here. No, sir. Could you imagine if he met the older brother in the field? And that's why Jesus is telling this story because he's actually trying to tell older brother Pharisees and scribes, there's a different way in my kingdom. There's a, hey, if I can get them here, I'll rename them. I'll put righteousness on them. I'll give them a new way to walk. We'll celebrate their salvation. We'll celebrate their transformation. And then I will put my righteousness on them. So what, I have two questions. What kind of church do you want us to be? Do you want to be a church of older brothers? Do you want to be a church that excludes people who don't do the things we do or believe exactly like we believe? You know, one of my favorite things to realize is uh, people don't usually change by argument. And yet theologically we argue and pragmatically we argue, which kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a church full of older brothers? Or do we want to be a church full of young, uh, loving fathers? where younger brothers can come and they can come with all their sin and the filth of pig slop on their face and they can come and just be embraced and be loved and be transformed by the Father. Can I tell you something? If you wanna be an older brother church, please find another one. That will not be life point. And if you want me to be an older brother pastor, I quit because I'm not gonna do that. But if you wanna have a heart of the loving Father, you want to be a people who act like they matter and I don't care what you did. I'm just glad you're here and God's going to change you and he'll deliver you from that and he'll break y'all up and he'll set you free from your adultery and he'll do all the, if we want to be a church like that, sign me up, say amen, praise God for that. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So, so listen, who, who are you in the story? This is my other question. Who are you in the story? Let me just tell you on the front end, you're not Jesus, but are you a Pharisee and a scribe? See, the problem with the religious people is they had proximity to the Father without the heart of the Father. That was the Pharisees and scribes. Maybe you're like perfect church attendance, you're on the dream team, you give, you tithe, you do your offerings, but you just don't have room in your heart for the people that God's bringing. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the tax collectors and sinners, you're the younger son. And you're here kicking the tires just wondering if this is the kind of church that's gonna kick you out too. Maybe you're the crowd and you're just ready for a party. You've just said, you know what, man, if the Father's glad you're here, I'm glad you're here. 
I want us to be a loving Father Church where people far from God at any location can come and meet the Father and be changed by Him. May we never get in the way of what our Father is doing. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Come on, let's pray over this text and we'll hand it off to our campus hosts, our campus pastors in Arizona and online in just a moment. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for transformation in our hearts and in our lives through this text. We thank you, God, that you will transform us from the inside out through a teaching like this. And Lord, would you put in us a heart like the loving Father? God, would we be able to reject the heart of the older brother that's trying to limit those that can come close to God, trying to protect you and keep people away from you. God, may we never get that kind of heart in us. Now, Lord, I pray for every younger son that's in the room, every prodigal, everyone that's far from God, that's kicking the tires, trying to decide, is this a church I can belong to? Lord, is this a people that I can belong to? And I pray that they would wholeheartedly feel, yes, they can belong to the Lord at this church. God, would you set our hearts on fire for the Father, that, Lord, we would feel celebrated and welcomed and embraced in this church. And may we always be a place and a people that welcome people far from God. Lord, would you transform them? Would you transform us and make us look more like you? Can everybody pray this with me? Come on, open your hands to the Lord. We have this practice. We like to pray with hands lifted up or opened to the Lord. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Everybody pray this and confess it, mean it from the bottom of your heart. Say, God, I'm all in. Say, I believe in Jesus, that he died for me so that I can live for him. Say, I give you my whole life. I give you my whole self and I wanna live as you have called me to live and to love people like you love people. Say, God, forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Wreck my life in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Let's give the Lord honor. I'm gonna hand it off to your campus pastor. I love you. God bless you online and at Arizona. Peace out. LifePoint, if you want prayer for anything in the room, if you want prayer in response to this message, I wanna encourage you to come. Let us pray with you. Some of our team will be in the lobby. A lot of our team will be here at the front of the room. Man, have you been blessed by the preaching of the word today, everybody? Come on, let's be that kind of church that God's calling us to be. I love you guys. Have a great week. Peace out.